Nick preached wonderfully this morning on Resurrection Life. If you weren't here, I want to encourage you to get that message go online. It was a, a profound message. And I have to say, if I look back on the last two years, I think the last two years have been the most life-transforming for me, personally. I've been saved for a long time. I don't want to dwell on the past and things that we've walked through in the last couple of years, but I feel such life and fresh life in me because of what God has done, His grace in our lives and His goodness to us. And really, the resurrection is absolutely the most foundational part of that, isn't it? Without the resurrection, like I said last week, we have nothing. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we are finished. Then let us just go right now to Bar 62, where I'm going to go later and hear a band called Junkyard. If you want to join us, please come. But if, if there's no resurrection, let's go and do all that stuff right now. Let's just get on with it because there is nothing. We are just living for nothing. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, as he was, we have everything to live for. Amen? And so... I've just got six things that Jesus opens the door to for us. And I want to just say, for me, this whole process that we've been through in the last couple of years, it really is a, a God opening a door for you and for me. I think some, just in my chats with some people, perhaps people felt, well, it was a, it was a thing that the leadership had to go through. They had to change. <laughs> well, yes, we have, all have to change, but it's a door for all of us to change. It's a door for you as well. It's a door, an invitation by the Holy Spirit to come and walk with Him for you and for me. It's just not a thing of changing the structure of the church. It's an invitation on the heart of God for every single believer. He's opening a door and saying, come and walk with me. Come and be my lover. Come and open your heart. It's a, and we can choose to stay on the outside. We can, we can choose to be intellectual. We can choose to close our hearts. We can choose to be peripheral and understand the gospel in an intellectual sense, but not in a heart, life-transforming sense that lives from the inside out. It's different. It's a challenge for every single one of us. And I guess when you take away some of the formal structure in the church, then there is a sense of, well, we'll see what is in our hearts. Isn't that true? When no one's saying every week, come and pray. It's good to come and pray. You ought to come and pray. Well, then if we don't come and pray, perhaps it's not in our hearts. When people are not saying tithe and give, well, perhaps if we don't tithe and give, it's not in our hearts to do so. And when you take the structure away, perhaps you start to really see what is on the inside of you. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. I'm saying me. I've seen some things on the inside of me that don't make me proud. I wrote a letter to someone this week that I felt I needed to and just apologize for some things. And one of the things I just said, one of the most liberating things for me has been God removing me off this path of compulsion, have to, ought to, because it's the right thing to do, and transition me onto a path of, actually, this is a relationship with you that I want to enjoy. And before anything else, I'm your son. I'm not a leader. I'm not this leader of this church. I'm a son, and I'm a husband, and I'm a dad before anything else. It doesn't mean that I don't prioritize his kingdom. Of course, that's at the very center of everything. But there is this life-transforming walk that we have with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that thrill you? It thrills me. I mean, it's a little bit scary sometimes, but hey, it's absolutely thrilling. And I want to encourage you guys tonight with those simple things. First thing, Jesus opens the door to, and we've uh, preached this many, many times, but Jesus opens the door to eternal life for every single one of us. Uh, John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Ain't the Buddhist way 
It's not any other way. It's, there's one way, Jesus, the Father. And I spoke, um, I spoke last week, John, John 1, where, where John uses that word logos purposefully, on purpose. It's a philosophical term where the, the Greeks, the philosophers, had really for centuries debated the meaning of life. What is our reason for existence? And John purposefully says, in the beginning was the logos, the logic, the reason for our existence was there. And then he personalizes it and says, and you can know him personally. Not an abstract set of rules in the cosmos that we, fo- full, that we follow, no moral code, no, no autos from heaven to please God. Now you can know him, Jesus. You can have a relationship with him. You can love him. You can be intimate with him as you are intimate with people, and you can walk with him. That's the invitation to God for all of us. He opens the door for eternal life for every single one of us. <sighs> kind of break that down a little bit. What does that mean? Well, first of all, Jesus offers us freedom from guilt. Aren't you pleased about that? I am. <laughs> I mean, the Bible is quite clear. We're all sinners, dirty, rotten scoundrels, every single one of us. I've, I've used this before. Um, T-Bone Burnett, if you watch the Oscars this year, he won another Oscar for best soundtrack for uh, the um, country and western, what's it, the country and western um, movie? Sorry? Crazy Heart. That's it, Crazy Heart. And he had an album called Criminal Under My Own Hat. <laughs> I love that. It's like acknowledging, yes, I'm a sinner. I'm a criminal under my own hat. And uh, uh, Mark, Mark Twain said this, man is the only animal that blushes or needs to. <laughs> is that true? Man is the only animal that blushes or needs to. And you know, we are not totally free. None of us, any of us are totally free unless we are forgiven. You, you can't live free with dragging things in, behind you that are just piling up in your, in your bucket. Not your wish list bucket, but in the bucket that is your life, uh, where everything that has gone wrong kind of haunts you. Any of you felt like that ever? Yeah. I'd, uh, my brother was just chatting to me. Um, he, he counsels manic depressives, and uh, one of the things he was saying is that when you're manic depressive, it's like you're pushing this wheelbarrow full of your life's problems. But the thing is, without any kind of help, it's like the front wheel has been taken off and you're trying to just push this wheelbarrow. And it's just, you can't do it. Well, we need the blood of Jesus. Uh, Jesus doesn't just fix it up. He, com- he completely removes the wheelbarrow. He takes it and dumps it as far as the east is from the west and it's removed for us forever. <laughs> it's not like we need to, He doesn't just fix it up. He, he removes it completely. And I couldn't look you in the face let alone look God in the face, unless I was forgiven. I mean, how, how, what integrity is that in, in terms of, of, of preaching the word if you don't know yourself that you are forgiven? And uh, Psalm 130 verse 4, There is forgiveness with God, for God still loves us as sinners. That, sorry, there is forgiveness with God. Psalm 130, 130 verse 4. There is forgiveness with God. <laughs> the only source. Of forgiveness. So we're freed from guilt. And secondly, I just want to say we're free from ourselves. Now, this has been the most liberating thing for, for, for me this last year, that I'm free from myself. Because how many of you sometimes don't like yourself? Anyone? <laughs> don't like the person that you wake, with up, wake up with in the morning. Not the person sitting in your bed next to you, but yourself. You don't like the person that wakes up. 
And God sets us free from ourselves. He sets us free from that part of us that is ugly and is dirty and is angry and is sulky and is all of those things. The blood of Jesus washes us clean. Jesus said to his disciples, uh, he was teaching some Jewish believers, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you will be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 31. And their response was quite angry. They said, they said to him, well, we Jewish, how dare you say that um, we've been slaves to anyone? I mean, we, 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 are, we are children of Abraham. We, we're in the line of the covenant. How, how can you say that we need to be set free? That was their response in terms of um, when Jesus said that. And, and look what Jesus says. He says, he replies, I'll tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We are the slaves to sin. We are the slaves to that bucket that just we can't push along. We are the slaves to that. Or we are slaves, Paul says, to the law of Christ, to the love of Christ. We are, we are bonded to to somebody else, something completely different that has set us free. So guilt is the first slavery we need to be set free from. Sin is the second slavery. And I've said this before, in our culture, it's so common for people just to say, well, I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person. How do you dare you say that I need salvation? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a sinner. I'm a nice man. Well, I want to say that for me, I'm learning more and more that sin is primarily self-centeredness. It's primarily that, where the soul-consuming passion of our hearts is our future, our provision, what God has for me, my ministry, all, whatever, whatever language you want to use, self-centeredness is the primary root of sin. And we, are, we, we become so infatuated with ourselves that we become slaves to this little ego that lives inside of this body. And I've said it before, Malcolm Malcolm Margaret, he says, we are prisoners in the dungeons of our own little ego. (laughs) And Jesus comes and he liberates us from that dungeon of ourself. Two greatest commandments that God gives us, he says, love him with all our hearts and we love our neighbors as ourselves." And that's, the reversal of that order is ultimately what sin is, isn't it? We don't love him with all our hearts and we don't love our neighbors. We love primarily ourselves first. And he becomes some kind of removed deity who's kind of benignly in the universe somewhere, just kind of letting the universe run down. And he's kind of interested, but not really. And we just leave him over there and we don't let him ever come and radically impact our hearts, our lives, and affect us profoundly that we live differently. There's a preoccupation with self in our culture. I don't know if I have said this in, in this church, but you know, if you go and look at the, at the dictionary, there are over 50 words that begin with self. Self-gratification, self-applause, self-assertion, self-absorption, self-centeredness. Just go and look for yourself. There's a myriad of words that just speak of this thing that people have, where they are at the center of their own lives, and God is not remotely there. Dark little dungeon of our own egos. But good news is Philippians 3 verse 10 says we are, that it's possible for us to experience 
the resurrection power of the living Christ. And that's what Nick was saying this morning, isn't it? The resurrection power of the living Christ, living in you and me. If we are living for Jesus, that's just forgiven us for our sin. As good as that is, it's not the same as living with the knowledge that Jesus is alive. And he affects and changes us radically from one degree of glory to another. Completely different thing. Completely different motivation that he is alive on the inside of us. Amen for that. Well, I'm enjoying myself. Thirdly, Jesus offers us freedom from fear. Freedom from guilt, freedom from sin, freedom from fear. And um, again, I don't want to dwell too, too long on that. Uh, there's so many fears that beset us, aren't there? The world is haunted by fear of sickness, bereavement. It's wonderful to hear your testimony tonight, Bob, that God has set you free from that bereavement. That's beautiful. Old age. I joked a couple of weeks ago and said that I'm aware that I can't eat anymore what I want to eat. I can, but then the calories, they just don't come off. And I run and I do my best, but they don't come off anymore. There's, there's, <laughs> there's a reality that when your hormones change in your 40s, you just can't be what you were in your 20s. And we can have this fear, isn't it? Fear of getting old one day and am I going to have a pension? And uh, are my kids going to love me? I've thought those thoughts. I thought, you know, if, you know, with Matt and me and Jess, we get on well now, but I want to get on well when I'm 65. When I'm, I want them to still love me. I don't want them to be so disgruntled with me that they feel like, I have to leave this home and I don't want to speak to that man again. I mean, what kind of, oh dear, you're terrible. Yeah? Freedom from fear, all these irrational fears. You know, even educated people have all these superstitions, don't they? Uh, not to walk under ladders, touch wood. Have you seen some of those tennis players? They won't stand on the lines when they're serving. I mean, how ridiculous is that? You think just because we're educated, we don't, uh, we don't have superstition in our lives. Did I tell you the story that when we were in Hong Kong, that the, the one hotel had no floor 13? It went 12 and 14 because 13 is an unlucky number. I mean, how ridiculous is that? These are educated people. These are all first world people. And we have some of these... Fears. And all fear brings paralysis, doesn't it? If we are controlled by fear, we're not free. It's like a fungus that grows well in a cupboard somewhere, and you open the cupboard, and there's your shoes are full of mold. It's, fear is like this. It uh, grows in the dark. But what does Ephesians 1.22 tell us? It says that he has died, and he has risen, and has also been exalted to the right hand of the Father, and everything has been put under his feet. Everything, everything, every fear has been put under his feet. We are set free completely in Christ. You can say amen to that. Secondly, and I, these are the things I want to just encourage you with as we go forward as a church. I believe that Jesus opens the door for the presence of God. How many of you want more of the presence of God? Man, I do. I, I, really, I, I want to encourage you again. That every time we worship, every time we get together, I was so thrilled with our time of prayer tonight. There was just a sense we didn't have to ask people to pray. This room was being, it was loud and vocal and people were passionate and they wanted to pray. They wanted to seek God. They wanted to hear His heart and pray. Now, I mean, that's encouraging for me. It's encouraging for you. It is. Of course it is. The presence of God. There's nothing like the presence of God. How many of you have ever walked into a meeting depressed and down and the worship strikes up and something in your heart just goes... Yeah. Anyone felt like that? Man, that's the presence of God. 
Or the Word of God, when it's preached, it just resonates inside of you, and your knees were shaky when you walked in, and when you leave, you're strong. Not that you don't fall again, but you're strong. It's the, strength, the strengthening presence of the living Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews 8, verse 6. I love this portion. It says, The ministry that Jesus received is superior to the old, and He's the mediator of the new covenant, which is founded on better promises. Amen? Better promises. I don't know how people can still want to be half Jewish. I just don't get it. It's like it's somehow, it's somehow you've, you're superior in your spirituality if you observe some of the Jewish covenant. If you celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or, or you have a Passover meal, there's something, there's nothing meaningful in it. And we can look for meaning. We can say, oh yes, when we break the bread, there Jesus is at the center and they don't even know what they're doing when they break the bread. I mean, that's all very interesting, but it's worthless. There's a new covenant in Christ which is infinitely superior to the old. The old is done away with. It is not needed at all. Thank God. That's why Paul says, if you want to circumcise yourself, cut the whole thing off. I'm not being deliberately offensive. That is what he says. He says, he's, you know why he was? Because he was a Pharisee. And he knew what that had done to the people of God. And what it had put on them. And how it had bound them up. And Jesus says the same thing. He says to the Pharisees, you are a brood of vipers. You are all religious on the outside. And inside it stinks like a tomb. That's what he says. And we're the same, aren't we? Or we just live by the rules and look religious and come to church twice a Sunday or once a Sunday if we can manage. And maybe go to a home group where we do some of the, all the right things and we look all fine on the outside. It's good enough. It ain't good enough because Jesus looks at us and says, inside of you, it still stinks. You need me. Amen. How oh, we need God. How we need His presence, His Spirit upon us. And we're so polite and kind of, I love what Peter Hart Brown says. He says, the church is full of people that walk around each other, sniffing each other like dogs. You know, never, never quite wanting to get close. Never wanting to open their hearts. Always some barbed wire and then a brick fence behind that. And you get through the first and there's still some more barbed wire and a brick fence. You can never get to know the person. Just the facade. They just let you know enough. Just a little bit. Oh, I'm done with that. I don't want any... Uh, uh, I must be careful what I say. I want deeper friendship with that than that with people in this community. I want to know, know in people's hearts how they're doing. I don't want to just go around to dinner and talk endlessly about sport and the weather, as good as that is. But there must be some hard connection that comes because we're sharing the presence of God together. Why did they break bread and they wanted to be with each other every day of the week? Why? Because they were forced to? Because the apostles were saying, home cell time? No, Acts 2 just says they were in each other's homes and they were on the streets and they loved each other and they shared all they had. Is that idealism and romance? Well, maybe it is. But let's rather be more like that than more kind of cut and boxed in little squares and just you know exactly what's going to happen. What's the romance in that? Sorry, am I shouting? There's only a few of you. <laughs> oh my, okay, all right. Hebrews ten nineteen. 
Therefore, holy brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over those, the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Man, we're laboring to preach the gospel that every one of you would have full assurance of faith. That you know you are a son. I was with someone this, this week who was just, just opening their heart about their lives. And, and, what and I just said to them, man, you need the gospel. You need the resurrection power of Jesus in you. None of these problems are going to come right if you try and legislate from the outside. It's the presence of God in our lives. Man. I love John chapter 4 verse 23. Jesus says at the well to the woman, he says, the Father is seeking worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you know what the Greek word is there for worship? It's proskuno. You know what proskuno means? It means come close to me so I can kiss you. That's the kind of worshipers that Jesus is seeking. Those will open their hearts and come into his presence and be intimate with him. Kiss him. I think that's profound. God has opened this door for intimacy with us, his people, with him. The presence of God, how we need it. I want to just ask you to pray with us this year that more and more we'll experience the tangible reality of the presence of God. Not just in our meetings, but in our lives. Thirdly, it opens the door for healing. Jesus opens the door for healing. Isaiah 53, verse 5, and two Peter, uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Both those verses say, by his stripes we are healed. And again, as we look forward to this year, I want to say, let us have an expectation that supernatural healing is available to every believer. Every believer. Physical healing, emotional healing, God wants to lavish all of this on his people. And it's wonderful. So many people have testimonies of healing and what God has done in their lives. You're still with me? I've got two more points. Verse 4. Verse 4. Sorry. Point 4. Third point, Jesus opens the door for healing. Fourth point, Jesus opens the door for the Holy Spirit to come. Isn't that beautiful? John 14, Jesus says, he promises the Holy Spirit will come, the great counselor. He promises that we won't be left alone as orphans. I want to say one of the key things that I've seen in people's lives in, in, in uh, the church, in this church and in, in, in other churches in the last couple of years, there's an orphan spiritedness in people. There is. There's an orphan spirit. That's why people are always on the outside, never quite coming with their full hearts because they always think, it's not for me. I'm an orphan. No, you're not. You're a son. You're a daughter. And, and even as a daughter, you're a son. Because the son's got the full inheritance, right? So that's not sexist. It's just saying that you also receive the full inheritance that God has for you as a son. Under how it was in the old days. All right? And we, let's pray for, 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 for the, the, the community of believers that would see orphan spirit and just broken over people. That they will come into full sonship. That they will know that they are sons of the living God. That they will rest in that. You know, when you know that you're a son, what does it take away out of your life? Striving. 
My sons don't know that I, don't don't strive to know that I love them. I tell them they don't strive to know that I'm going to provide food for them and a roof over their heads. It's like for Matthew and Jesse, they just know that when they go to the table, there will be food there. Why? Because they are they are children, they are sons, and we love them, and we're always going to do the best that we can to provide for them. Isn't that true? How much more our Father in heaven? How much more our Father in heaven? And yet we so kind of oh God. I'm nervous that you're going to take your blessing from me. And the most unhelpful comment I think I heard in the last three years was a well-meaning person who said to me, God has lifted his hand off of this church. What absolute nonsense. All that man was saying is, I don't understand the first thing about the grace of God or the love of God. God doesn't take his blessing off you. We are constantly under the blessing of God. We are constantly under the smile of God, whether we do good or bad, whether we, we please him or don't please him. His smile is upon us. He's not fickle. You guys do good and I'm going to bless you. <laughs> it's not the gospel. Not the gospel. All right. Jesus opens the door for our inheritance. Point number five. I preached that a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't heard that message, please go online and get it. The Israelites in the Old Testament, they celebrated the Passover with the Passover lamb. What is the fullness of that picture for us? Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb set aside for us. Through the Passover, the Israelites were released into their inheritance, the promised land. And through Christ, we too are released into the fullness of our inheritance as sons and daughters. And what is our inheritance? Well, you can get a, a little breakdown in Ephesians 1, one of the many portions in the Scripture. But here are just a couple of things out of Ephesians 1. It says, part of your inheritance is this. One, He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Yep. <laughs> He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. What does that mean? It means that God doesn't have favorites and He blesses some with every spiritual blessing and not others. You know, the really zhuzhi ones, He blesses them. And me? No, I don't get, I only get half, you know? No, no. We all get the fullness of the blessings of God. Every spiritual blessing. Secondly, He has chosen you, Hugh. Just rhymed. I'm not picking on you, right? He's chosen you, Hugh before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Neil, he's chosen you. Ed, he's chosen you. Glenn, chosen you. Corley, chosen you. To be holy and blameless. Perfect. To walk perfectly and blamelessly in his sight. Before the creation of the world. Isn't that an amazing thought? Before you were even a twinkle in your dad's eye, man, he had already predestined that you would be walking in the fullness of your inheritance. Thirdly, he predestined you to be adopted as a son. Fourthly, all of us have redemption through his blood. Fifthly, we have forgiveness of sins according to his lavish grace. I'm just taking the verses out of Ephesians 1. Those are the promises for you and for me, every single one of us. We can know the mystery of his will. Isn't that an amazing thought? Every single one of us can know the mystery of God's will for our lives and for His church. Six, seven. We were chosen for the praises of His glory. And lastly, we were marked with a seal guaranteeing our inheritance. 
the precious Holy Spirit. Lastly, point number six. Jesus opens the door and stands at the door of your and my heart. And he is standing there and he knocks. And Revelation 3.14 is where you'll find that scripture. And please note the context of the scripture. It's in the context of God wanting a people that are wholehearted. If you go and read it. It's in the context of God wanting a people that are wholehearted. And he encouraged us to admit our need of him. I was just reading an amazing thing uh, this week, one of Michael Eaton's books. Do you think that God can change his mind? He does. He can change his mind. Amazing thing is that when you read the story of Abraham, how many of you remember the promises of Abraham? They're in Genesis uh, 15, Genesis 12. 12 and 15, and uh, God promises an amazing thing to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you the father of all the nations, and through you, you're going to, the gospel in advance to all the nations, and you're going to be a blessing, and your seed will be uh, a blessing to the whole world. Remember those promises? But the key moment is actually Genesis 22. Because Genesis 22 is when Abraham is obedient, and if you think of Abraham's journey, God makes those amazing promises to him, and the first thing he has to do is leave his family, which he does. He leaves his family, and then he wanders around for a bit, and he's still got some of his family with him, because if you go on and read the story uh, from Genesis 12 on, Lot is still with him, his cousin is still with him, and so he hasn't fully left his family, he's still got some of his family with him, and then they have to choose, and Lot says, I want to go there, and, and then God says to Abraham, well, lift up your eyes wherever you look, that's what I'll give you. And so it's like, he's not perfect, he's kind of walking this, and this, that's so encouraged me, that the walk of faith, you don't have to be perfect, you make mistakes, and God's still with him, and he's still guiding him along, and even though he's not fully obedient, he's kind of walking as best as he can, and doing this stuff, and then he gets distracted, he goes down to Egypt, you know what he does in Egypt? He lies about his wife because he's, he, he, he's, he's received the promise of God. God says, and, and now he's all nervous. He thinks Pharaoh is going to see my wife is beautiful. So he lies about his wife, and it's kind of another detour. And then God has to put that right. And then the key moment comes much, much later. Much later after he's received the initial promise, Genesis 22, and God says, the son that I promised you. Oh, yeah, of course there's Hagar as well, where he thinks he'll help God, you yeah. know. Okay, I'll help you. I'll sleep with my slave, and she'll bear a child, and that's the way we're going to work it out. God, me and you, we're going to work it out like that. I've made a plan. And the miracle of, of Sarah giving birth. I forgot all of that. Sorry about that. And then it comes Genesis 22, and the Scripture says that because he was obedient, because he was obedient, God says, upon myself I swear an oath that I will now bless you. And when God promises on himself, where he swears by himself, that is the moment where he will not change his mind. I swear by myself that I will bless you on, all, on, on who he is. Isn't that incredible? And I, so Genesis 22 is the key moment. And that so encouraged me as I was just thinking about it and thinking about um, this invitation that God has for all of us to walk in obedience with him, that we don't have to be perfect, that it really is our whole lives. It really is, and there are going to be some detours. And I'm not going to go out here, and as God is calling us to walk by the Spirit, which is He said, walk by the Spirit, that's what the last two years have been about, walking by the Spirit. As we walk by the Spirit, we're not going to get it right all the time. We're going to make some mistakes. But in the end, in the end, His promises for our lives will be yes and amen, and complete and fulfilled.
friends, I want to I just say to you tonight, God is knocking on all of our hearts. The, the, every single believer in this church, it's not just for the leaders. It's not just for those that have been leading in the last while, this thing of walking by the Spirit. He's calling us to all to be wholehearted. He's calling us all to a divine romance with Him. He's, call, he's calling us all to recognize that we are naked, we are poor, we are bleeding. If you read that portion of Revelation, it says, Come and buy from me what money cannot buy. He's asking us to recognize that, that we are spiritually bankrupt. We are dead without Him. And if you think you can work it out for your life, you can't. He can. And he says, verse 19, He loves those and rebukes those and disciplines those that He stands with as sons. And that's the invitation to you tonight. That's the invitation to me tonight. That will open the door of our hearts. They will come in and sup with him, and he will sup with us. And if you have an ear tonight, I want to ask you to not harden your heart to what God is saying. He is the door opener. He is the door opener to so many things. But ultimately, right now, he's calling us to this wonderful intimacy relationship with him that he wants to be extravagant with in our hearts and in our lives. That's good news. Amen.